Welcome back to another episode of True Crime, Fashion, and Passion. Today is an episode in true crime and fashion. This is one that's really very personal to me and very, very sad. We're going to be talking about the incredible Princess Depot, the princess of skin, Katusha Naeem. She was more than just her beautiful, dark, ebony skin. She was really a force to be reckoned with. And I love being able to do this podcast. K- Katusha actually came to me in a, in a in a knowing, or some people would say a dream, but it wasn't a dream. It was a knowing. And, and she was my inspiration for starting this, this podcast, uh, She and Noreen Kid. So because I want to be able to share my friends and someone like Katusha with all of you. And I hope that this podcast brings some some light to her her tragic death and to the the circumstances around it and those things that she was passionate about. We're very lucky today because my co-host is Carol Alt and Katusha and Carol actually worked together uh I think it was uh, with Jean-Franco Ferre uh, in a Dior show in Paris uh, several, several years ago. Anyway, join us on this extraordinary journey about the life and the tragic death of Katusha Naim with my co-host, Carol Alt. Thank God for fashion. I think there's so much crime in fashion because people are drawn to fashion. I got into the business of fashion to tell stories. Flashes all around. Top model Gia got it all, all at once. At the end of the day, it's the comeuppance. The runway catway's mine. We have very eclectic personalities. I'm here with Philip Blosh. My fabulous co-host, Pat Cleveland. Biggest crime in fashion has been the death of Versace. Shortly before 9 a.m., fashion designer Gianni Versace was shot on the steps of his villa. And now I get to tell the stories of people I love in fashion. When people are caught and they have to pay for their crimes. Found yesterday in the Seine River in Paris. How did she die? Katusha Neon. Sylvie Cachet was on top of the world. Her body found in an overflowing bathtub. You're listening to True Crime, Fashion and Passion with your host, Philip Locke. Welcome to True Crime, Fashion, and Passion. One of my favorite things about fashion, and I often say this, is the people you meet along the road. I have met some amazing people in my wonderful journey through Oz. One of my favorite wild child friends in the industry is Katusha Naeem. I can't even begin to say how many wild memories I have of her, how many fun nights, and just what an impact she had on my life. I've never in my life met someone like her. There are two people in the industry that really stick out in my mind, and of course they were wild. Gia and Katusha. They say in Hollywood and in fashion, so few people can go by one name, but these women were so special. They could go by one name. So, ladies and gentlemen, welcome my co-host, the amazing, the beautiful, the stunning, the breathtaking, one name only, supermodel Carol. <laughs> <laughs> I dare you to find another supermodel named Carol. There is no other, I don't know another, maybe in the 50s? Nope. None I can think of at all. Excellent. You are a one name. I am a one name. There you go. So, you know, I worked a lot with Gia. Yeah. I was always the other girl because Gia was a huge star when I started. Yeah. So. Well, and she was the dark hair to Kim and Kelly and all those girls. Right. And, and, and then and Christy. And they always had to have a backup because yeah. Gia would leave the studio sometimes <laughs> and not come back. Yes. So I was always the, the backup girl. Yes. Um, Katusha, Katusha and I, we walked the Dior show wow. in the early 90s when Gianfranco Ferre was was designing for Dior. Oh, so that was before Galliano. Yeah, so that was, was the before, early yeah. yeah. So that was the early 90s. Wow. She was quite 
a presence. This woman was tall. She had a regalness. She had an essence that was just... And this body that was shaped from her shoulders down to her waist like an inverted triangle, kind of like you see with the football players with their big shoulder pads and these little waists. She had that beautiful triangle, long legs. The skin. Well, the princess of Poe, the Poe princess, the the skin, the princess of skin. I mean, it glowed. She was ebony. So you guys were ebony Ebony and and ivory. ivory. (laughs) I think they wrote a song about that. Um, Or was that about Paul and Michael? But she, she was beyond a model. I mean, she went into activism. She had an incredible life. So why don't we start from the beginning, Philip? You know her the best, so. Wow. You know, um, I wish I knew her better. I wish I got to spend more time with her. Uh, She she came to my life in a very special time for me. So Katusha Nain was born October 23rd, 1960 in Conakry, Guinea. Her heritage was Fula, and this is very important because this later pay, played a huge part a in huge her A huge impact life. on her life. I, I believe that the traumas of childhood, the joys of childhood, bring us our whole life. It's, it's as if when we are born, we know what the rest of life will be. And, and our suffering and our joy from that time It lays dictates, the tracks. Lays the tracks. Absolutely. That was the dominant ethnic group in the time in, in Guinea. And her mother was a, a, a Fula descent. It's interesting because I could not find her mother's name. It, again, it says so much to the culture. Culture. It speaks to the culture because it was all about her father. Her father was Djibril Tamsir Nayen. I may be pronouncing this wrong. I apologize if I am, but that's how it's spelt. So I'm going with that. He was a prominent author. He was a playwright and he was a historian. He was very important to the government. He wrote very controversial stories and and, and he was just an important person in, in, in Guinea in this time. At nine years old, Katusha's mother claimed to take Katusha to see a, a Beatles film, the film Help, which was you know so important in our time. It's so interesting that they even had that in Guinea but that just says something about the Beatles. But what a foreshadowing of the story that's about to come. Exactly, exactly. I thought the name help of the movie was really kind of... Apropos. Apropos. They were not going to the the movies that day. Her mother brought Katusha for genital circumcision. It was filthy conditions. There was no anesthesia. But this was a local Fula custom. This was something that was very important to her mother, and she felt it had to be done despite Katusha's adamant screaming and crying and and her fighting it really I mean and she was tricked into it and even at at nine years old she knew being tricked by your mother being tricked by your mother and knowing that you would lose a certain sensitivity of your femininity that is so important to women but I think it had happened to her mother as well so absolutely she couldn't empathize with that no she just was someone who was caught in the tradition and what, what women should do and what you had to do as a woman in this religion and dominated by barbaric religious beliefs at the time. And, and again... Yes, but they don't believe it's barbaric. Absolutely. So that's absolutely. the problem. You're stuck between the the old world and the new world, the old way of thinking, the new way of thinking, tradition and forward thinking. And, you know, when you have no choice in something... This was something that remained a scar on Katusha's life. Yes, for, it did. For the entire part of her life. And, and it really caused PTSD, which again, we weren't using that term in that time. And all through the time that I knew No, you suffered from it and you tried to self-medicate from it, but it was never really diagnosed at that point. And now knowing this part of her story that I didn't really understand in that time, like we like we speak now of, of these issues in, in, in the 80s when we were working together, people didn't speak about these things. You know, it, it reminds me of laugh, clown, laugh. Katusha was the life of the party. She was, she had this amazing accent. She was so dominant. And of course, being like the shortest male model and her being the tallest female model, clients love to put us in a runway show together. I think I was the joke. 
joke. <laughs> but I Philip, carried my own. you were never a joke. I carried my own. Thank you for saying that. I carried my own, and I was very proud to be next to Katusha. I mean, really, it, it was one of those things that happened in, in my career a lot. There was another girl, Davana, that they used to put me with a lot. And Davana was like six foot two, and they would have me walk out in London. I think we did Galliano together the same. <laughs> they put me and her together. They loved to show that I was the shortest guy, because I really was the shortest guy at the time, which I think just spoke to my natural charm and beauty. <laughs> Moving on from that part, Katusha was quoted as saying in her career as a top model was a form of revenge for the horror of genital mutilation. That she became a famous model. That she became a far famous model and that she became this symbol of beauty and, and, and feminism and, 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 and feminine beauty. And yet she felt she lost one of the most important parts of being a woman. Apropos enough, she used that beauty and that fame to fight against genital mutilation. Absolutely, so, absolutely. It's interesting how something happens, you fight it, then something else happens. And, and I think in the time that Katusha and I were friends, she was struggling. This was the struggle. This was the bane of her existence as, as she was the queen of the night and the queen of the runway and the queen of everybody that was around her. I can't even begin to explain her magnetism. Talk about the it factor. This woman entered a room. I'm, one of my favorite stories is I'm walking down uh, right by the Café Georges Saint in Paris. Right. Very, very well-known, trendy spot in the afternoon. Everybody who's everybody goes there, and it's just it's so magical. I I, I just I want to go there again. I, I need to go there again. I'm so glad we're moving past Corona now, and we can go to Paris again, and we can go to these spots and just relive the the good old days. I, I remember leaving <laughs> George Sank, and I'm walking down the street thinking, oh, I got to go to my next casting. And all of a sudden, Katusha, all six with something of her, is hanging out of a taxi with Sherry, another girl, Sherry. I don't remember Sherry's last name because all those girls were like one name girls, and uh, they were so amazing in their own. Like you just knew. And she's hanging out in Sherry. I knew Sherry also from Tokyo. They're hanging out. Philippe, Philippe. Come, come, Philippe, pull over, pull over, pull over. And she's like hitting the taxi from inside the taxi, <laughs> hanging out, like four feet of her is hanging out. All the legs are still in the taxi, but the whole body's hanging out. And she's hitting the taxi and hitting the driver from the passenger window. She's reaching in, pull over, pull over. Uh, but in, en français. And, and she's Philippe, Philippe. And she stops and she comes out and she runs across the road to me because she just doesn't care. It's Katusha's world and we're all living in it. She says, come, come. And I say, oh, I, I have to go to a casting. She says, no, no, we all go to Patrick. Kelly and you come and 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 then we go we do whatever after done with the casting they, there's always another casting come 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 you come in the car now and literally where did I go in the car in the car what Katusha wants Katusha, Katusha gets. gets and I was that guy <laughs> I can't say enough about her obviously soon after her circumcision her family was separated so soon after her circumcision there was a there was a, a change in government in, in Guinea and a change in power so that was very difficult for her father you because know, he, he was, wrote for the other government. Exactly. And so there's always that weird change of power. So they had so to escape. The new dictator was Ahmed Sekou Touré. And uh, I hope I'm saying these names right. I don't mean to offend anybody, but I'm American and I'm sort of ignorant when it comes to foreign names, unfortunately. Her father sent her to live with her aunt and her uncle in, in Mali. She was safe from the Ghanaian regime. However, there was severe emotional scarring. She was, she was molested and sexually abused while she was living with her aunt and uncle. I think, again, this is just so confusing to a young girl. To, to Confusing to me as an adult. To have been forced into the circumcision, to then be molested and raped by, by family members. 
and and you're separated from your family her 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 lack of a feeling anyone cared about her must be must be extraordinary you must feel so alone in the world you must feel and i'm sure this is why she became so bossy you know she was bossy she was a boss lady the term boss lady comes from diana ross the boss and katusha because this was a boss lady after that her her father you know sent her to live with the aunt and uncle then at 12 years old she re- rejoined her family in dakar living with uh, her paternal uncle so they went to another family member's home and his the wife of the uncle which was not necessarily her aunt but the wife of the uncle at the time. She was working for the secretary to the president of Senegal. So this is a very... Prominent family. Prominent family. Politically prominent. Very influential. And yet they're going from home to home, family member to family member. Uh, They're living... And they're spread out. Yes. We're talking Guinea, Mali, Senegal. I mean... And we're talking in a time where there was no Twitter, there was no Instagram, there was no Facebook. Right. You know, there were no cell phones. This is Africa in the the 70s, 70s, really. This yeah. is really a whole nother time and place. At 17 years old, Katusha had basically felt like I've had enough. I I have a bigger I have a bigger future than this. She bigger saw purpose. beyond her life. Yeah, she saw. And again, that's the fascinating thing to, for all of us. Did we know we were going to be famous? Did we know we were going to have the success? Did we know uh, all my life? I knew I had more. I, I knew as a child in Long Island, I was getting out of there, and I had a bigger life to come. I think that Katusha knew as well. And and. At that point, she got pregnant. She then married her first husband, which again, very interesting. Hard to find the name, and I she never talked about him, <laughs> you know. But she had a child with her with her with her first husband, and she. How came old to, was she? She must have she been was 17, sixteen or seventeen. She was seventeen yeah. at that at that point. She came to Paris. At that point, she came into Paris. She told her parents, "I'd be famous. I'm going to be a big star." And I know what they said. They said, "You're going to be a whore." Exactly. And she said she was very very lucky because it didn't turn out that way. She became a big star. She became really the epitome of femininity and feminine beauty. She definitely was, she had a very masculine feminine beauty. I mean, she was definitely a very masculine woman. And again, well, we talked about the triangular body. Yeah. And I I think this has a lot to do with feeling she lost a part of her femininity and feeling that she had to be tough. You know, she was not soft and fuzzy. Her love was, come, get in the car. You're coming with me. We go here. We're going there. We do this. And you did it. You know, I was just the perfect guy for her because I can't, like Gia, I came and went where she told me to go. I, I, I know how to fall into line when I, when I admire someone and I have respect for someone and, and they're beautiful. <laughs> Maybe you've experienced that with me a little, you know, I'm like, where do you want to go? Okay, I'm fine. You know, I, I'm just one of those guys like, I'll go. I'm along for the ride, you know. I I could sit all day and look at beautiful women, and I've been blessed to be able to do that in my career. Yes, you have. Thank you, Lord. So in the early 80s, Katusha began modeling for the House of Lamvin as a fitting model. So again... So there we talked about the fitting models. They were the... They did the runway. They did the showroom stuff. Exactly. But the the shows back then were actually just in the atelier or in the showroom. Well, that's where she got her start. Exactly. And she did that kind of modeling, but then... But she was able to transcend that. She transcended because she was a star and she had that it factor soon after she was working for Terry Mugler and then she was on the catwalk for Paco Rabanne and then she became known as Yves Saint Laurent's muse now she came right after the legendary model Munya Munya. Mm -hmm. who was the ebony princess before Katusha was the the Poe Poe princess. princess. So she was the ebony princess and then Katusha was the skin princess, which is fascinating because she was really the ebony princess to me. Her skin was ebony. It was just other level. I, I, I can't even describe it. 
I don't think she need, needed moisturizer. I mean, you know, she just glowed from within. And, you know, by this point, she was going, uh, she was doing all the campaigns for Comme des Garçons with Peter Lindbergh, and they were just these extraordinary abstract architectural-like photos, and her body was, was just the so, long limbs. And, oh, my God. These yeah. other, She was like a tree. She just reached out and it went for miles and and I remember that catalog because I had been working for Come to Gasson as well and I just you know I always stayed a fan you know I was just a fan I was a fan in the world of what I was a fan of you know I mean I, I can't describe it any better and whatever success I had I was just kind of pinching myself thinking like wow this is good, but I want to be Katusha. I want to be with Katusha. She's in the campaign. You know, and I was never competitive. I admired everyone's success. Like, I lived for your success, for your covers. I lived for Katusha's success. Like, that was my my energy. That was my raison d'être. You know, I mean, as en français, my reason to be. My reason to be was to be surrounded by greatness. I guess I guess some of us, as the creators, as, as the gay guys in the industry, we thrive and we feed on, on your success. I think that's a little bit that's missing in this generation. They're so busy wanting to be a star. I never wanted to be a star. But I you became to be one around. anyway. See, that's the difference. I think sometimes when you feel people are so desperate to become a star or so desperate to do something, you tend to pull away from them yeah. because th you can feel that desperation. But not now. People people now gravitate to that desperation. I see it and I'm like, oh, I, I constantly read people literally like, dude, you can't say you're humble in your post because then you're not humble. You can't say I didn't do this for the picture, but then post the picture. Like, I don't understand. I just don't understand. I literally, I was just doing it so that I could be there next to you doing it because right, I wanted to be Right, but you became a star you. because we didn't feel any desperation from you. What we felt was support and love. And you were able to see our strong points and build up on that to help us create, you know, you became part of the creation of the image. As time went on, Katusha became one of the most glamorous and biggest stars walking for Gianfranco Ferre, Christian Lacroix, Chloe, Givenchy, Chanel, Dior, Patrick Kelly, as Zadina, Laya, Calvin Klein, and now so that's a career. That, that is, is a, a career. career. I mean, she she spoke in interviews and in saying she was scared to come to New York because she knew of her addictions. As, as so, do you think career, that New York had more addictions and more drugs than Paris or Milan or Tokyo? You know, I had my instances with with heroin with Gia. You know, my days with Gia, which was in the early '80s before I really went on to Europe to model and have more of a successful career. Um, I, I was involved with heroin and Gia there, but listen, I found it everywhere. I found it in Milan when I was with Noreen. Yeah, it, it struck partake, me as but... weird as to her being afraid to come to New York because of that. But I, I thought maybe yeah. French was her natural second language so that maybe it was more comfortable to be in yes. Paris. I, I think, and I think New York has this reputation of being this wild city. But honestly, I found it in, you know, listen, when you're a junkie, you're a junkie and you find it. I found it in London. I found it in Paris. I found it throughout my modeling career, I was a junkie on and off. And that was my career. That was part of my my charm as a model. That was part of Again, we're the complete opposite. I never yeah. knew any of that stuff. I don't yeah. even think I ever saw cocaine. Oh, well, yeah, cocaine I think bored I'm, me. I was into heroin. Might have was, once. Well, that was Gia. You know, I came it, to the city. But I came to it. the city. And when uh, early on, I met Gia. And she was on the cover of Vogue, on the cover of Cosmo. And we were doing heroin in the East Village. Well, there were the same because I met Gia early on. It was literally my second or third job. And she was on the cover of Cosmo, which yeah. was like, oh, you have a Cosmo cover. She's like, 
six. Yeah. I was like, you know, <laughs> my hero. <laughs> I was like, my hero. Let's go play. Yeah, so, Let's go yeah. party. We were, we were heroes for different reasons. Yeah. Katusha was, was similar. You know, we, we a lot of cocaine, a lot of drinking. I, I don't think Katusha was involved in heroin. I did a lot of cocaine with Katusha and a lot, a lot of drinking because we drank for free in Tokyo and, and in Paris, you'd go to the clubs. And if you were with Katusha, you drank for free, you partied for free. It was, it was the way of the world at the time. By 1992, an interviewer described her as twirling double spins on on stage at Balenciaga. And then she limped off the runway because she had just had an operation on her foot. Backstage, she was smoking and drinking a cigarette. And that's where she talked about, I'm scared to go to New York because of my addictions and, and my lifestyle. I'm scared to go there because I'm scared I'll be cut wild. So that's where she was doing Calvin Klein and Donna Karen and all those great designers. But what I wanted to say, and the reason I brought that up, and I think you'll understand this, is she was twirling. She was When the lights came on, she did her job. I was just going to say that there was no... There was no excuses back then. Nope. There was no reason not to be in the studio. You could have the flu. I mean, I I, I went for a, a cover girl shoot and I had the flu. I was so sick. And I couldn't call them up and say, I can't come to the studio. If you're booked, you're booked. I remember my father was dying and the agency said to me, sorry, you can't have a day off. These clients have had you for six months. Yeah. There was no room to breathe. You were booked. You had to be there. And there was no, even for a broken foot, an operator, you, you could not say no. You had to go out. And by the way, nobody cared what was happening to you. No. What was important was the image that was projected for that designer on the runway. Well, absolutely. And you were there for the designer. And so what, what happened absolutely. in the industry at a certain point, because of the Gia's and the Me's and, and us, you know, we showed up, we did our job, but, you know, on set, we we were high or junkies or, or mean because you, we weren't getting high that day. Like, you know, there were, there were issues. I mean, I, I was always a good worker. I did my job. But listen, by the 38th outfit of the day and it's, you know, 80 degrees or 90 degrees and you're doing winter clothes, winter clothes and layers with and layers. Stockings we all get and cranky. fur and wool. and We all get cranky. And when you've been drinking all night and partying, because th that lifestyle was so conducive to us. Like, we almost didn't have a choice, especially in Tokyo. And and you just didn't have a choice. It was there. You had nothing to do. You were in these places. So you were with all the other models. And, and that's what happened. And, you know, I had an experience was I was I was in Milan. I had to go to Germany for a job. And by this point, the industry was changing. And I had to go to Germany for a job. And it was a long story, but I got arrested on the train and they took me off the train. I didn't do anything. It wasn't my fault. I had something in my pocket. It Here wasn't even go. mine. It wasn't <laughs> even mine. I never saw that. It wasn't mine. Anyway, they arrested me. I missed the job. And I called the, the photographer. I had the phone number of the studio because it was an evening job. And the photographer was very cool. And I, I knew him. I'd worked with him before. And I knew he was like a hippie from the 60s. And I called him. I said, you know, I told him. I said, I, I got arrested. It wasn't mine. He's like, oh, I got some here. Just come to the shoot. Don't worry about it. So the next morning, I had to face the music with the agency though and so I got to I got there they moved the shoot to the next night and the agency wanted me to pay uh, the photographer the other the hair and makeup people and the other models the for, not, for not for not making not showing the shoot up, for not for not showing up for the shoot and the photographer stood up for me and said no I told him it was okay I shot everybody else I did his I'm gonna do him separately and I'm gonna cover the hair and makeup people and and the other models gonna come in and do the shots with him every, every the, the photographer covered for me and and very cool. kept me happy 
happy when I got to the set, let's just say. But Gia changed the industry because Gia climbed out windows with jewelry on and gowns, like millions of dollars worth of, of jewelry on and windows and climbed out to go get high. And she'd call me and say, I'm coming in a car, come downstairs. And there she would be in a gown with <laughs> all this jewelry on. And at the point I would call Sean at Scavula's office and say, hey. Are you missing Gia a model? Gia just called me. She's on her way to get me. And she would, there was no cell phone. So Gia got out of the cab used a payphone to call me and say, come downstairs, I'm coming now, or the car. She was in a car service, but a shitty car service. Can you imagine that? Beautiful girl standing on the corner. And gowns and, and, gown and jewels, and jewelry. Like looking like the photo. Looking Make, like the photo. Yeah, making a phone call. The Dennis Peel photo. Anyway, we, we digress. 1992, she had done that show, and she just was so dedicated to her work and her career. Katusha was really referred to as the first black supermodel, especially in Europe, because this was, you know, I think Beverly had just had, Beverly had had the- The cover the of Vogue, Vogue in 1978. That, was, and Beverly Johnson had already had the- the cover is the first black model on the cover of American Vogue. But Katusha was Europe, and it was a, really a different a different industry at that time. By 1994, she stopped her campaign, but she would always come back for Saint Laurent, like in 1995. she In one of the shows, she came back, and she did that amazing Saint Laurent dress, the Picasso dress with the dove on it. This was a very, very big moment in fashion. Like, that is a huge, huge moment, and I, I believe that was probably one of Saint Laurent's last shows. This was a big photographic moment in in, in fashion, and people in fashion know that, that moment. But she she was really very outspoken by this point. She's used her fame to, to start her own clothing line called Katusha, but she didn't have the commercial success. The interesting thing was she was known by the elite. She had all that respect from the designers, but but people in the streets didn't necessarily know who she was because as a model, as you know, you're a face. Yeah, it doesn't transcend sometimes. People know your face. They don't know your story. They don't know who you are, but they know that face. So people didn't necessarily know her, her name, and so the, the clothing line didn't do so great. She returned to at a certain point and tried to persuade women to, to stop, you know, stop getting circumcision. She was very adamant and she spoke to Fula women, other Fula women, and, and tried to change, but you can't change centuries old, old religion. By 1995, she had, you know, she'd had success and everything, but, you know, she was quoted as an African saying, I've got long fingers to grab money and big, big gaps, gaps to let it fall through. To let it fall through, which I loved. You know, she always had an idea. She was yes. passionate. She was so passionate about her idea. So I have these long fingers to grab the money, but it falls through my hands because I'm a wild woman, really, was what she was saying. By 2005, she was the host of um, Top Model, right? Top Model, but in Africa. It was the French version, so it, it played all throughout Africa. And again, right. I'm sure she was amazing. That I'd but this, love to that, bred, that breathed new life into her career. But by this point, you know, she was, she was struggling. She was really struggling and she was reaching for that epiphany we've talked about. This is where her epiphany started to come in, I believe. And, and she, she also, um, she returned for Saint Laurent for a gala. February 14th, 1998, her daughter Aidan Curtis was born in Westminster, London. That was Nigel Curtis's right? daughter. Yeah, okay. British male fa uh, fashion designer. He yes, did a lot of men's clothes. Yeah, mm -hmm. he was amazing. amazing. And so that's why her daughter is Aidan Curtis. She has her father's name. And Katusha had two other children, but they kept her last name. Aiden goes by her father's last name. Also, 1998 was a really big year for Katusha. You know, she had her baby. She was kind of sort of regaining her her confidence and um, she was still struggling. She was still struggling with the drugs, but I think she was starting to find her her inner soul and her... Do you think she connected her what her emotional issues were with 
the trauma of her childhood? I think this all started to happen in that time. She was a big football fan, so she was uh, she was part of the uh, World Cup sh- ceremonies, which is a big honor as a French citizen to be part of the World Cup. I That's did it like, here in the United States. So there you go. You Robin know? Williams, myself. Yeah. It's huge. You know, that's like your country is calling you. You're, you're, if you could only sing the Star Spangled Banner there. Yeah, you know? exactly. Because I mean, your chest does pump up for that. Y- you really do. That's that's like an honor from your country. I, I find that really, really amazing. And by this point, she started to write her book. And I think this was really, this was kind of something that, that was really changing her life. She started to finally look at the final chapter of her life. As, as we now know it, this became the final chapter, the redemption, the, the soul searching, the epiphany. And by this point, she she was kind of back with her family. What was the French name of her book? It was called In My Skin? Yes, and that doesn't come out till 2007, but it took her a couple of years to write it and right. to do that that searching, to, 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 to really search and to come back to her family and to bring that connection back to her family. And I believe um, some of her children were, were, were with her parents by this point. You know, I mean, she was very, very unstable at certain points. And that's probably what I loved about her. But the drugs, the drinking had taken a toll on her personality. She was angry. She was bitter. The drinking will do that. We see that in time after time. Drinking, people think it makes them fun at the party, but really you just become the angry person and and you don't see it, but other people see it. And I think she was struggling with all those demons and I think she finally found this peace with her family. She found a certain level of fame in her home country. She was speaking out against what hurt her and and the crimes against her that that, that really damaged her, her sense of image and to be such an image maker and such an influencer in a time where we didn't even talk about influencers was important. In 2007, she released her autobiography where she told these stories. You know, she told these stories and it was called uh, Dans Mon Cher. Yes. Uh, not Cher like Mon Chéri, but Mon, mon Cher. And it was uh, In My Skin. In My Skin. In My Flesh, actually. As opposed to, you know, because I think in French they use the word flesh. Translation. So In My Flesh. And she admitted to using drugs and alcohol and how she had had bouts of mental illness again. And this was in a time where we were weren't really, talking about it. We weren't speaking we weren't about mental about illness. Yeah. No. And I think she was was someone that was so ahead of her time. I wonder and how many people we could have saved if we had talked about this and known about this. And it's so interesting how kindred spirits PTSD come together. and you know, I yeah. was suffering my my uh, my your traumas. My traumas. I'm, I'm sure Carrie Otis and Katusha crossed paths along the way. You know, I mean, I think a lot of the the damaged birds, I the broken birds, I call us. I call us. Uh, you know that that suffered, and we were, were these beautiful birds that are flying. And I I put myself in that category. I not the most beautiful of the birds, but I put myself in that category. And we just want to fly. We just want to be free. We just wanna we want to show the world, and yet. Our wings are a little broken. Our wings are a little clipped. And Katusha was really one of the most beautiful birds. And I think in being in that Picasso dress on the Saint Laurent runway with that that dove there, which I, I ironically have a tattoo of a dove, the Picasso dove on my arm. And, and again, it's just funny, the coincidences of how things come together. And I just didn't even put that together to this moment. That's really kind of a, an interesting artistic coincidence. At one point, she declared that she was unfit to care for her children. And she spoke out publicly. Again, people didn't speak like that in, in that time. But she spoke that she was unable to take care of her children. And she talked about that. She became aware of the psychological damage that the mutilation in her childhood really brought her and the substance 
substance abuse. And I think therein lies the big epiphany when you can go full circle and realize the damage caused the alcohol and the drug abuse and the mental abuse. And when you put it all together in the, the, the drugs and the alcohol. And you can see your full picture. But sadly, she could not kick that habit. Right up until the very end, Katusha battled with alcohol and substance. And she battled with those demons. You know, I have a couple friends that, that I've spoken to since about this. And, and um, I didn't learn until a couple of years ago that she had passed away even. So somebody, I had run into a friend of ours and we're talking. I was like, oh my God. And he said, you know, oh, I met you with Katusha at Club Set and blah, blah, blah. And I was like, oh my God, how is she? Have you seen her? And he told me she had passed and he told me the story. And he said, she was fighting a lot of important people from Africa that were in France at the time. And she made a lot of enemies. She was bold. She was charismatic. And she didn't take shit from anybody. She was the original, I am not the one. But they didn't have that expression at the time. I believe she would have said it like something like this. I am not the one. <laughs> if she were here today, she really, really was that person in that time. And, and again, that characteristic wasn't really dominant. People were more like, okay, I'm going to go with the flow. I'm going to be, you know, uh, models. You did your job. You showed up. She was so outspoken. She out, she outspoke the industry, really, and, and her life. That's why there's always been rumors that was her death an accident? 2007 was a really big year for her. By 2007, she was having a lot of these epiphanies. She had her book came out. She got her first film role. And you can relate to that. Her first film role was a very, very important book from her from her native country called Ramada. She had the title role. She played a 50-year-old woman that was in love with a 25-year-old man who showed her the pleasures of the flesh. And how ironic is all of this? Totally ironic. Because with circumcision, a woman... There is no pleasure. They lose that pleasure, that, that, that feminine pleasure that she never really got to experience. So her last role, her first and last role was was starring in a film about that. And that movie never came out till 2010, which was after her death, unfortunately. I, I was just going to say, I wonder what kind of pleasure. I don't mean there is no pleasure. I was wondering what kind of pleasure there is. And maybe that role helped her to find a little bit of pleasure. I think so. Again, I think there's no no coincidences. I think yeah. this is all meant to be. It, it is meant to be. C'est la destin. C'est la destin. It's the destiny. Sadly, on February 1st, 2008, Katusha was last seen leaving a party. She got into a cab with a friend of hers. She lived on a boat on the Seine right next Isn't to the pond. Isn't that crazy? Alexander. Yeah. She, I would have loved to have lived on a boat on the Seine. I can't tell you how many nights I passed by her boat and I thought, oh, should I say hello to Katusha? You know what I mean? But she was always She's out She's probably partying. never home. <laughs> and, and in the times after that, I, I didn't realize that which was her boat. You didn't, you couldn't go knocking on doors. And ironically, the Pont Alexandra has always been my favorite bridge. It is one of the most beautiful Beautiful bridges. bridges. If you have a chance and you go to Paris, you must see the Pont d'Alexandre, which just watching uh, Sex in the City um, and just like that, Carrie goes to that to that bridge, I believe it was that bridge, because that's the bridge I went to with my father's ashes. And when my father passed, I sprinkled his ashes off of there. Carrie, I believe, goes to that bridge and she sprinkles Big's, Big's ashes, ashes off of there. And that's why when we talked about that the other day on the phone, I said that that scene was so important. And my friend Kelly Lynch went to that bridge and sprinkled another friend of ours, Jeffrey Herman, who was a model at the time, his ashes off of that bridge. I think there's a lot of ashes and a lot of souls floating in the floating sand. Floating in the sand river. Well, Katusha on February 8th got in a cab. She left a, a 
another wild night of partying. And from what I understand, there were probably a few arguments that night with people along the way. She got to her, her boat. You know, there's a little plank that you go, a little boardwalk. She got out of the cab and apparently she put her purse down. They believe she put her purse down and she might have struggled because of the humidity from the water had a hard time in the cold. Getting she, the key in the Getting door. the key in the door, getting the door open. She was drunk. She was, I don't know if she was high or not, but she was definitely drunk. And she fell in the sin, whether she was pushed, whether she fell, whether she had just reached that point where she But she, she couldn't could swim. Fly. Who could swim in the sand? That, that's hard when you're well, drunk. Well, it's cold and, and whatever, but I, I heard she couldn't swim and she had it lived in a houseboat. Yeah, which is really kind of an interesting fact. Like, how do you not swim and live on a houseboat in the sand? But I guess nobody's swimming in the sand, so, you know. No, but and, I mean in general to live on a houseboat on a river and not know how to swim. Because the cold water would get you in a matter yeah, of seconds, but yeah. she fell in next to her boat. So if she could have swam, yeah. maybe she could have saved her life. I but don't again, know. She was drunk, the drinking, the mm. drugs. You know, there was no mention of, of you know, broken bones or anything like that. Yeah. I think she just died in the water as, as again. That's such a pity. I mean, it's such a senseless, as all deaths are that are accidental or... Or is it just meant to be? Meant to be. Had she done what she was here to do? Had she become that bird maybe she was that dove and maybe she just got to fly away you know and I think one of the amazing things about this is this story maybe is about the blessing of the mother and her daughter Aiden Curtis has an extraordinary career as a model she's working for everybody I mean the list is endless the list is endless of 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 her successes. She's working with Stella McCartney, Fenty, Puma, Mark Jacobs, Zach Posen, Dolce & Gabbana, Roland Murray, Tom Brown, Anna Sui, Versace, Bottega Veneta, Fendi, Topshop, and even public school. And it's not because she's carrying her mother's name. It's because she's carrying her mother's spirit. She's carrying her mother's beauty. On February 1st, she went missing, missing. Mm-hmm. but on February 4th, they Somebody filed. said, yeah, yeah, where is Katusha? Let's let's make a police report. Again, it takes time, you know, oh, maybe she just disappeared. Maybe Wheels she's of just justice parting. turn slowly. And 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 again, her purse was sitting right on the the plank right next to her boat with all her, her stuff in it. So it's interesting that it took so long to file a missing persons report when her purse is there with all her information. Like that. Well, someone right would there. have to go to her house. Well, they went, they went. She was missing. They they knew she was missing. It just took that long to file the report. And it took that long to go to the house then and find that. I think they had found the purse before that. And, you know, the police showed no foul play. It came, the toxicology reports that there had been liquor in her body, et cetera, et cetera. But on fi- February 28th, they found her body. It took it took literally 24 days, a little more than three weeks to find her body. She was floating in the Seine. They ruled it an accidental drowning. You know, her family always suspected there was something more to it. I think her friends, again, like often the case is, people's friends believe that there was something else. This was someone who was very, very, very very confrontational. This is someone who is very confrontational. This is someone who definitely made a lot of friends and a lot of enemies along the way. And she spoke about things that that people people didn't want to speak about. People didn't want to speak speak about. about. And she was fighting with people about drugs and money. And once the drugs and the money and what do we say? Nothing good happens Happens after after 1am. And Katusha had a lot of wild times after 1am in in her life. On March 7th, 2008, there was a there was a religious service held for her with, you know, people came up, they showed out. Naomi Lenoir was there. Naomi Campbell was there. Pierre Berger was there. I mean, this was a deeply moving ceremony. And people came out. I, I believe Carla Bruni was there. I mean, people loved her. And although people were scared of her and she had lost a lot of her prestige because of, of not being in the industry. And you know how people yeah. that are there in the top and the peak of your career are not they there. They tend to scatter. And it's, it's really nice to see who showed up. 
who showed up in that time? You know, that's it. I think that that's I, a good I, I want to just I just want to say one more thing here. You know, uh, recently her daughter Aiden was interviewed by Vogue. American Vogue, and, and she talked about her parents giving her good advice. They both explained that you have to be your best in the workplace. You need to make smart decisions and always have thick skin. Curtis talked about being in the industry as a child, and she always took it for granted, but she remembered those lessons. And that kind of goes back to what we talked about. You have to have thick skin, and you have to be professional when you show up in yeah, the workplace. You work with your foot broken, operated on, flu, whatever happens, you have whatever to do a good you job. Have, you, you go in and you do it. And I think this is one of those cases where the sins of the mother become the blessings for the daughter. You know, That's maybe a very rare case. Maybe she has learned yeah. the great lessons. I, I think a lot of times, you know, look at everybody, Cindy and her daughter, Kai. I think so many of the kids are modeling now that, that had famous mothers. Yes. And I think you can learn a lot from your parents' experiences. And Cindy was never involved in drugs or partying. Nope. You know, I mean, she was the consummate professional. And I think, you know, it's interesting to, to teach your children that and have them respect you enough to follow those 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 paths and and follow that legacy. Wow, that was a really really intense story and I I know Pat has had had worked with Katusha quite a lot. They were friends. And they both spun on the runway. They, both they were spun, twirlers. Spun, spun. They Katusha and Pat Cleveland are twirlers. So, to stay tuned for more twirling and more fashion and more passion with my next segment with my co-host, the legendary spinning Pat Cleveland. Well, I think we can all draw our own conclusions to what might have happened there. Some say it was an accident. I wonder. Many of my friends still wonder. Was there something else more behind this? Or was it just another drunken night on the town and as simple as falling into the Seine, which doesn't sound very simple? Or was there a plot behind this? Had Katusha just really pissed off the wrong people? I guess that's one of those mysteries we, we just will never know. But I wanted to bring everybody just a little bit of my friend and the magic that she created, the glamour that she brought to this planet and the strength. I think she was such an inspiration for so many women of, of different nationalities. And whether you're tall and glamorous or short and dumpy. <laughs> Katusha was somebody that would really kick you in the ass and, and inspire you. And I think that her story is that. I mean, she's someone who left all the glamour in the world to really fight for, for what she believed in. And I, I think that's important in life. So I hope you all will remember my friend Katusha. And <laughs> thank you, Carol, for being so supportive in this. I mean, she really knows her shit. Keeping in the world of fashion and passion in Paris, I'm going to have next week's guest, our fashion and passion guest with my lovely host, Pat Cleveland. We're going to have my bestiest, best, 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 best friend in the whole wide world. Well, I have one other bestie, bestiest friend in the whole wide world, but she's not coming on next week. But my bestiest, bestiest guy friend in the whole world is coming on. Famed photographer. He's an incredible photographer. He works for Architectural Digest and El Decor. And he does, he's done my book cover and he's... He's just done photographed everything. He's worked for British Vogue, Italian Vogue, and he worked at Interview Magazine. He's just a man that wears a many, many hats, and he's so knowledgeable about art and culture, and, you know, he's just the smarter, better version of me. <laughs> and as I often call him, my husband without sex, but... Um... Anyway, join us next week for True Crime, Fashion, and Passion with my co-host, Pat Cleveland, and my bestest friend in the whole wide world, celebrity architectural photographer, Peter Esterson.